Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome to Screen Talking, DeWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And Ann, I am uh, in Park City. You'll be joining me shortly for the Sundance Film Festival. We get a little respite from award season by absorbing a whole bunch of new movies and conversations about the state of the film industry and so on and so forth. It's going to be an interesting year. There's just been so much going on over the last few months with the industry of, the, of, of filmmaking as well as the uh, climate from sexual harassment conversations to distribution conversations. And so you see all of that kind of stuff come to the foreground. Sundance isn't really just a film festival. It's also a platform for where movies are at right now in America. So what are you looking forward to uh, this year at the festival? Well, I already did see something that's going to be one of the opening night movies. And since this is um, going to be playing on Friday, this podcast, I'm going to go ahead and say that I was a big fan of Tamara Jenkins' Private Life, which um, is a Netflix movie. And it's I wrote about it. I interviewed her. Um, so you can read the whole long saga. But it's it's one of these really terrific movies that was very difficult to get made. And and it, 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 and it sort of plays out against the backdrop of what you're talking about. In other words, somehow this story about a middle-aged married couple having trouble with infertility just wasn't getting off the ground at Amazon Studios. And then suddenly Netflix swooped in and, and, and saved the day and it got made. And it's going to be shown tonight at uh, Sundance with these terrific performances by Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn as the uh, married couple. Well, and the other thing that's interesting about that is that and at the, I went to the opening press conference today with Robert Redford, who's been doing this for decades, and, and John Cooper, the director of the festival, and the head of the Sundance Institute, Carrie Putnam. And one of the things that really didn't come to the foreground because there was so much conversation about sexual harassment and providing a safe climate, a new code of conduct and all that stuff, is the nature of the market at Sundance and how much it's changed. The fact that last year at Sundance, the biggest deal was a Netflix deal for Mudbound. I had just come from the Art House Convergence and spent time hanging out with all these theater owners across the country. And I was thinking a lot about that gulf between you know, the kind of new power players in, in distribution landscape and this much larger kind of infrastructure that we don't see all the time of, of smaller films that don't necessarily get to that level of attention or that support. And a good portion of the movies at Sundance, for one reason or another, are going to be like that. I mean, well, I've, there's I've a seen tier. A there's a set of of tiers. I, I was. It's so funny that you're bringing this up because I'm, I'm actually thinking about this too today. Um, 
the the idea is that we are in the middle of this huge shift and what you saw at the art house convergence and i've been there a couple times it's and it's always very um sort of uh revealing you know of, of where things are um theaters are are in many ways outmoded and and struggling to figure out how to stay current and how to stay alive and they are they're being they're all being very clever but film festivals like Sundance are a huge role in keeping this whole limited uh, specialty arena the indie world that we care about so deeply the world that does still make intelligent smart movies for adults that are so hard to get out to the public. Now we thank Netflix for doing what they do, but we still care about theaters and and this is the one so that the tiers that are going on as we just you know number one tier fantasy late night you know maybe blind spotting you know all night bidding war big, big sales movies yeah big commercial that movies. movie is That's the one i sort year. of have pegged as the opening night movie that this could happen to um you know with david diggs and and he worked on it for years this is a classic movie about really talented people um sticking to their guns and writing about what they know in this case oakland um, you know, much like Ryan Coogler um, and Fruitvale, um, and and people who are fast-talking, uh, poetic, uh, you know, grif gifted people. Of course, David Diggs got a Tony on uh, for rapping in Hamilton, you know, on Broadway. So, so the, you know, now he gets the Tony, he gets the funding, he gets the director that directed all his music videos, he gets his buddy who wrote it with him, and they're in the movie. So this one feels like it could really be be a home run. Of course, I'm being optimistic. Yeah, but I mean, stage. I guess what what's what's interesting about when I'm looking forward to that movie, and it's sort of like there's this preordained element that the more you're plugged in, you know it's coming, and everybody jumps on those things. What's interesting is that that it's that often is the less exciting part of going to a film festival because of the degree to which you find all these other movies that are never going to have an easy time being plugged into that narrative, whether they're you know something in Next that has no even modicum of star power, you know, that's maybe not even slightly commercial or say a really wild genre movie that's going to shock people. That's the kind of stuff that I think is really interesting to look at because there is actually a future for that kind of a film. I mean, there are many different kinds of futures, but it's not necessarily going to be a big Netflix or exactly. Amazon deal. And exactly. it's not, and but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not tears. successful. The second right. tier it, it, and the third a different tier barometer. are what's interesting. Right. It keeps going. There's like a 15th tier. And the thing is that yeah, people Yeah, but a lot of it ends up not being about that. theatrical. That The fantasy is still theatrical, that one of these big distributors are going to pick it up. And I and the big debate right now is, are they going to spend a lot of money? Amazon is under management duress. Uh, Fox Searchlight is in the process of being sold to Disney, and hopefully they don't want to take any chances on on anything. It's interesting. I've heard it both ways. Either Fox Searchlight is going to go for broke while they've got the chance and take incredible risks, or they're not going to. You know, it's hard to say which way they're going to go. It, it could be any, but it's also part of it's dependent on the films and what the, what their options are and who else is bidding. I mean, there there can be very aggressive bidders in this environment who are completely unexpected. I mean, last year, Neon barely a new company, barely, barely a company that existed last year, it came very close to buying patty cakes. You might argue that they dodged a bullet they by did. not overspending on a movie. But, 
now that company is back and, and may want to do something else With to establish Itania itself. behind so, them, which gives them exactly, a confidence year to overspend. That's, that's the danger. That's the danger right. that well, they, but, would, but, they but would, would make a say, mistake. But I would say that the danger is also that if one company doesn't overspend, and somebody will always overspend, and that creates this narrative of what success actually means, which is your movie got picked up for a ton of money. Well, maybe that actually doesn't help the movie. Maybe that hurts expectations. Maybe that raises the bar too high and also dominates the conversation in a festival that is filled with so many different kinds of movies for different yeah, kinds of you people. Want, you want a company that's confident, that has resources to put behind. I mean, in a way, that's what's better about Amazon and Netflix is that they, they it doesn't matter what they spend. They're so rich. They could take all these chances and, and go for broke. But the future of, well, of that specialty, I mean, that, well, they had a tough year, Amazon. So, exactly. so the question of where they're going to end up, you know, is, is very interesting. At the moment, it sounds Being like television is going to be the most important thing that ends up as happening. As much as... Well, sure, because you could burn through money with empty pocket or deep pockets, but then if you wind up with nothing to show for it, you know it's pretty bad for the brand too. I mean, there there are movies that were released over the past year by, like we said, Neon or A twenty four that I think were much more interesting in terms of the way they found success than some of the Amazon films, even if they're not at, you know, spending on quite the same level. Well, the big sick and was a total hit, and that one did very well, and that one will, um, you know, is setting the bar for what everyone else hopes to achieve this year. But just, but just to, to kind of play devil's advocate here, that movie played really well at its Sundance premiere, and it was such an obvious commercial film. You and I walked out and saw that giant Fox Searchlight huddle, pre-Disney Fox Searchlight huddle in the, in the lobby of the Echoes Theater. That movie, you could argue, probably was going to do well whether or not it was an Amazon that was putting it out into the world. Oh, that's so that's an interesting question. That was a, they, commercial that, movies they overspent here. to get it. That's what they did, but right. it paid off. Right. So they didn't right. overspend. So Whereas something see. like Mudbound, who knows? I mean, Mudbound, could that have landed in, in, in better hands with a theatrical life and, and played in a bigger kind of way as opposed to the profile Netflix or has given it? Or it tainted by hideous failure because it was always going to be a challenge. After, right. after um, Fox Searchlight uh, got into trouble with Nate Parker and, and, and Birth of a Nation, I think that um, it was scarier to take a big plunge with a movie like like Mudbound, it, it just was. It, it it's it's scary to think that a movie like that wouldn't do any business. And well, and, and, the, and now the interesting thing is now there are so many more in options. Netflix context of things. Of course, but 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 it, what's interesting is that it doesn't have to be that movie. You know, like there, there, there are many different kinds of movies that can fulfill a certain kind of criteria. I mean, there's a film here this year called Monsters and Men. First time filmmaker, Reynaldo Green, who's done a bunch of short films. It's about uh, African-American uh, characters clashing with police, obviously very timely, but also a, supposedly a very strong drama, not very star-driven. You have a film from this uh, hip-hop artist, Boots Riley, called Sorry to Bother You. It's sort of a satire in the Dear White People vein. So what's 
interesting about that is that you know that the idea that you need the big diverse movie from Sundance as a commercial play or figure out a way to make a commercial play gets more complicated the more that the industry is diversifying and the programming at Sundance certainly seems to reflect that. No, and so it's what, great, what I'm really it's a great potential program, like, but I'm curious right. to see it's, it's like, so what's how the, the streaming sites go. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are so many at this point, and also different kinds of contenders who, who have their and, kind of, and maybe yeah, digital elements iTunes to consider. iTunes and Facebook and Apple, all these different things that could, that could come into play for once. And then there's a new player, Open Road has become Global Road, now that they've merged with I Am Global. So that's one of the players that could be uh, willing to step up and spend money this year. Yeah, but the other thing that, that is kind of uh, notable in that conversation is that, to some degree, a lot of this comes down to what filmmakers want. You know, sales agents do have a big role to play at Sundance, but there there is a Sundance dream and a mythology that has continued. It's survived the Weinstein saga, as it were. But if you talk talk to people who are bringing their movies at Sundance, you could tell that the expectations are much more sort of compelling than the nuts and bolts of the way the industry is operating. Yes, so if somebody the has who paid for their movie is the person who is the most likely to dictate where that movie goes, especially sure, a but, filmmaker but that's not established. And there's a sure, lot of but that doesn't mean that it can't exactly, but that doesn't mean it can't complicate the story. You know, if somebody, if a filmmaker has an expectation for a movie, just because the financier wants to push it another way, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be, it can't, sort of have an impact on the way that deal goes down. Well, or the let's kind look of at somebody like, you would think that someone like Noah Baumbach, not in the context of Sundance, but in another context, uh, with the Mayerowitz uh, stories before it went to Cannes, he, he didn't want that to go to Netflix. He didn't want it to no, go there at not. all. And he had and no And you could tell it from every conversation he had about it. Right, right. So that, so that, but this is a fundamental He's a pretty established guy. Yeah, no, of course. But I do think that if you're a first-time filmmaker going to Sundance and you have certain expectations, you're going to have a voice at the table. In most cases, somebody's going to be pushing you to go a certain way because of money or whatever, these different kinds of things. But when you hear deals being made, if it's a big deal, probably it's not something that was filmmaker-driven. But if you see something more innovative going on, a lot of times there is more of a, of a negotiation process going on on the artist side. And so I think what's going to be interesting to see at Sundance is, you know, how are people sort of navigating their options? Because well, the there's more transparency love, about what those are, those options are. One of the are. things I love about Sundance, the thing that, that makes Makes my heart sort of swell besides the joy of discovery and seeing something for the very first time that nobody's ever seen and no critics have written about it yet and no marketers have gotten into it yet and I get to see it pristine and make up my own mind at the very beginning of the process but the part that's cool is that and this I think is the heart of Sundance is that the filmmakers are walking around in the snow they're on the shuttle they're hanging out they're going to parties they're meeting each other and they're sharing stories and they're making friends and they're cinematographers and editors and 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 filmmakers and actors and all these people are just thrown into this fabulous rich nurturing soup and it does have the impact of of opening up people's eyes to new things and sending all these people back to Hollywood or wherever they came from enriched 
and enlightened in a good way. And that's my favorite. Well, that's, that's exactly what, what, what I'm driving at is I think that there is more Sundance is actually a very filmmaker friendly festival it in is. spite of the way that the industry tries to take hold of it. Exactly. And, and there, there are, I mean, it, this is what Redford said with respect to Weinstein. And though some people might characterize it as a dodge, I thought it was very astute. He said, uh, you know, whatever he contributed to the climate of the festival, that was somebody coming from the outside trying to take something out of it, whereas Sundance is doing its own thing. And I do think that to some degree that's what's happening with filmmakers who come to the festival and they connect and they see what the possibilities are for getting their movies out into the world in a way that's distinct from the expectations of the marketplace, but can also have an impact on those things. When you look at a movie like, like Columbus from last year, which made over a million dollars in a very interesting kind of release strategy, uh, partnering with Sundance Artist Services, and you see that there there is more of a, of a sense of, yes, if this is a, a seemingly difficult movie, it can still get out beyond this world because it's been well received at Sundance. So Sundance may be a microcosm of where the industry is at, but I think it's also a good window into how filmmakers are thinking about their expectations for their work. And so that's what you really have to look at is, is where, what is the chasm between those two things? What kind of deals are you seeing and what kind of movies are people talking about? Do those things line up or are they two separate things? Well, a lot that's of times the important thing with, with, with Sundance is that the distributors get to see how the movies play in a real theater and they can they have evidence of their own eyes and their own ears in terms of of what kind of response something can actually generate that may not look good on paper so the other thing that's kind of interesting about this year is that every year Sundance is sort of judged on the basis of what happened last year and though I haven't heard anyone ask this yet it's it does come up in the sense that you remember which movies were discoveries or that really broke out and you wonder what's going to have that kind of success this time around so this time it's not the grand jury prize winner i don't think people are really talking heavily about i don't feel at home alone in this world anymore but you think about something like call me by your name being a big sundance movie and it makes you wonder what's this year's call me by your name right like what is the movie that could be received in, in, in not only in a very positive way by critics but seen as something that could have long legs throughout the year maybe even to award season i think right now a lot of the buzz is around gus van sands don't worry he won't get far on With foot amazon, an amazon film yeah the trailer came out right beforehand, it's being yeah. well-received. Obviously, Gus needs a good movie to remind people he can do that, and he's re-teaming with Joaquin Phoenix for the first time since Private Idaho, you know, decades ago. And so that's kind of interesting. Sure. But the other thing that I think is notable about that is that you have uh, a movie that looks like it could actually be a genuine crowd-pleaser. So Call Me By Your Name was interesting because it was, a, it was sort of a high-art film that seemed sort of out of sync to some degree with... Sundance expectations, whereas this one seems like it might play right into them. But I'm very curious to see how that one kind of works, not only because of the Amazon conversation we were having before, but also because of there's just so much talent involved. It looks like a big movie. And so the real question is, can all of that talent deliver, or is it something we're sort of being misled by the marketing. So well, Joaquin is here also with another Amazon film which played um, at Cannes, which you and I both liked but didn't love. I, I guess that's fair. Is that is that fair? Well, what was interesting about that film was that uh, maybe Lynn it wasn't Ramsey, finished. Yeah, she rushed it to the finish Lynn line. Ramsey. It was a very short film. Supposedly, this is a new cut. Yeah, that's but. What I've heard. Uh, 
it's uh, you know, I thought the film was very interesting. Uh, it was very, it's kind of an exercise in style. It was it was funny and strange, and I think that it actually works much better for a Sundance crowd in the sense that it's an idiosyncratic work by a filmmaker who will be embraced for that. But it's also kind of slight in certain ways, but it's got a great Johnny Greenwood score. And there are things that people will latch on to about this movie that I think will help reintroduce to the world. I wouldn't expect it to be the definitive movie at Sundance, but it's an interesting example of one uh, that actually can benefit from the name of it is, by the way, you were never really here. <laughs> just yes. in case you, you were never really to here. Um, from Lindsay and and um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing that again. I may not prioritize it in this environment, but it is the kind of thing yeah, we where, see well, it again, totally. You know, can uh, can is misleading in its own way. Well, he so. won best actor there. You know, but, so it's you true. never know. It's true. Um, the one I'm looking forward to a lot is Juliet Naked, um, and there's several reasons. For that, mainly uh, the fact that um, Ron Yerksa and Albert Berger, who are sort of the quintessential Sundance producers with good taste, um, and Judd Apatow, who, who you could put in any number of categories, but he was one of the producers of The Big Sick with Barry Mandel, they're behind it, and it actually stars um, Chris O'Dowd and uh, Rose Byrne and Ethan Hawke in a triangle. Who also directed his own movie. Say what? Ethan Hawke also directed his own movie. Blaze. Yeah. Blaze. So, yeah, the more you talk about Sundance movies, the more you start to realize how many people have multiple projects here. And it's it's kind of, it's it's jarring because it's sort of like, it's this overwhelming window into who's having a moment or who's trying to have a moment. And all these different people are jockeying for attention all at once. And if an actor or director has multiple projects, you know, maybe one does well and the other doesn't do well. And you can kind of get a sense for what kind of year that person's going to have. So it's sort of like this this laboratory of sorts. That, and don't that forget the docs. Get There's lots of docs. And the one that Plenty. I'm looking forward to has been described as the ultimate tearjerker, and it's called The Sentence. And yeah, grown men have been weeping after it. they see this you will, movie. It's if a I counted movie. the grown man, then uh, then it certainly did did do that to me. But uh, I'm excited to see a movie called Minding the Gap that I've heard is very strong about uh it's sort of a, it's a documentary, but it seems to have a kind of narrative thrust about some kids who grew up together, and then something happens in their young adult lives that complicates their relationship. It sounds quite fascinating. Robert Greene, who did Kate Plays Christine, is back with another kind of doc fiction hybrid called Bisbee 17. So it's it's kind of neat to see Sundance have more of an expansive approach to nonfiction film that it had just a couple of years ago. There's even a film in Next called 306 Hollywood, which is the first time for that section. That sounds like a very interesting kind of experimental project and uh, our There's new president Jet which is, doc there you know so she might Jet, be performing there which is exciting our new, our new president which is a, a, a look at the election exclusively through russian propaganda so if you just watched the documentaries at sunday <laughs> you would have a very interesting window into where our culture is right now in well, any case I i'm going go to go go see the film i'll see you there and uh, we'll reconvene in the middle of all the craziness next week see okay. you soon bye anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.